Thank you, Brother Chris and all brothers that have assisted in this worship so far this morning. I hope it is well with your souls. I hope it will remain well until the day of your departure. Then we'll trust it in the Lord's hand that it will be well for eternity. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 and take up some words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though they're not in the red writing in your red letter edition Bibles, though they were dictated by the Apostle Paul, written down by Tertius, they are yet the words of the Lord Jesus Christ because He gave these to His apostles for them to teach us all things whatsoever He had commanded them. In Romans chapter 12, as I have done a number of times, the first two verses are often memorized. But a mandate without the details is of little value. Here's the mandate that many memorize in the first two verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. These are the two verses that are used the most from Romans chapter 12, and yet they are general in that they don't tell us anything in specific of how we give our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and they don't declare to us what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We must read past these verses to find those things. And so we come to verse 13, where the Lord has led us thus far. The last time I was with you two weeks ago, we dealt with the first clause of verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints. And I'm going to leave that with what I said then. Today we want to take up the last clause, given to hospitality. This is a commandment of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not a suggestion. These are, this is not a character trait of better Christians. This is a commandment of God. Right. You have 168 hours in a week. Most of you that work, work only 40 or 50 hours a week. That leaves, you know, 118 or 128 hours. And if you take out 56 or so for 8 hours of sleep a night, there's still so much time left, you hardly know what to do with yourselves. You say, well, I feel like I'm always busy. Well, that's because you're not a good time manager and you're wasting your time. There's a lot of time in a week. And part of that time, according to the commandment of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is to be given to hospitality. As I started nearly an hour ago with John fourteen twenty three, the Bible says, if ye love me, you will keep my words. Right. These are his words. Let's go and understand them. This is a living sacrifice. This is holy and acceptable to God. This is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Right. When you are given to something, an expression that you may not use except once in a while, you may say, so-and-so is given to fits of depression. You mean that he's vulnerable to them and he has them often. The, the, the expression in our English language means to be inclined to something, disposed toward it, addicted to it, or prone to a thing. And I want to say those words to you again because we're supposed to be given to hospitality, inclined toward hospitality, disposed to be hospitable, 
addicted to being hospitable, prone to showing hospitality. And so we have an understanding of it from our language. When Paul was in the city of Athens, he said and wrote and Luke recorded it for us in Acts 17, 16, he saw the city of Athens was wholly given to idolatry because they were inclined, disposed, addicted, and prone to being idolaters in the city of Athens. Though the world worships those great thinkers, sodomites, idolaters, circular reasoning from zero. Do you know what you end up with when you reason in a circle from zero? It's very bad. And they're considered the great minds. We have the great minds right here in Scripture. And they were just the penmen from the great mind. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, according to Colossians chapter 1. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 with me. You'll, you'll want to keep your finger or a marker at Romans 12, but come over to 1 Timothy 3 and let's just narrow down this expression given to. 1 Timothy 3 3. A bishop, that is a pastor of a church, is not greedy of filthy lucre. In the middle of that verse, the third verse says, Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre. Filthy lucre is money. For a minister to be faithful, for a minister to be qualified in the eyes of Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ to be ordained, money shouldn't mean anything to him. He should want to do his work and he's not greedy of filthy lucre. Because that can twist and warp a man because he'll compromise his message to keep the big givers. Look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 7. Because we're making a comparison to let the Spirit of God define a phrase for us. Some of you have recently memorized 1 Corinthians 2.13 that tells us that we are to compare spiritual things with spiritual. And what are those spiritual things? The words which the Holy Ghost teacheth. According to 1 Corinthians 2.13, so that's what I'm doing with you. Titus 1.7, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. So, we have the Holy Spirit defining what it means not to be given to filthy lucre is not to be greedy of filthy lucre. So to be given to filthy lucre would be to be greedy of filthy lucre. To be given to hospitality would be to be greedy of hospitality. Oh, I like the Bible. Do we all like the Bible this morning? You just told us that we all need to be greedy of hospitality. Let's go back. Well, let's, we can start at Timothy, at Titus, I mean. Titus chapter 1, let's go to verse 8. A bishop is to be a lover of hospitality. Okay, it says a lover of hospitality. So now let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and look at the same office there in verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless. 1 Timothy 3.2 The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. So when we compare the spiritual things with spiritual things, what does it mean to be given to hospitality? Comparing it to Titus 1.8 A lover of hospitality. So when it says that you... Now, when we're in Romans 12.13, that is no pastoral epistle. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are for ministers, for bishops... But Romans chapter 12 is for every member of a congregation. You are to be greedy of hospitality and a lover of hospitality. A person given to hospitality loves to do it, wants to do it, cannot stop from doing it, and so on and so forth. And that's how important it should be 
in your life. Ministers are to be given to hospitality because it's an example to the flock of what the rest of the congregation should be doing as well. While the Bible tells us we don't want to be brought into the power of anything, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.12, All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Right. In that verse. But we do want to be brought under the power of hospitality. We want to be given to it. We don't want to be addicted, prone, or vulnerable to anything else like wine. And we just saw that for a bishop, not given to wine. For deacons, not given to much wine. For old women, not given to much wine. Church members are allowed to drink more freely than older women and deacons, and especially than bishops. But we don't want to be brought into the power of any of those things. We do want to be brought into the power of hospitality. We want hospitality to control us. We want to be addicted to it. We want to greedily seek it, and we want to love it. Hospitality is the reception and entertainment of others with food, drink, and lodging, warmly given. That's what hospitality means, to receive and entertain guests, visitors, or strangers with liberality and goodwill. Just a warm person that loves to invite others for a meal into their home to spend the night out to eat a good meal, wants to show them generosity, liberality, goodwill, a warm, inviting atmosphere of taking care of drink, food, and lodging if needed. Especially for strangers. But we'll see that as well. Notice... Turn to Matthew chapter 25 and see that hospitality is going to be brought up in the great day of judgment when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be given to hospitality. Now we could just say these words, comment three sentences on them and go on, but I want to press them on all of you. Because this is what it means to be a Christian. It's not just going forward at a crusade when you've been plied with testimonies and organ music or whatever else they use and invite Jesus into your heart. This is real Christianity. If ye love me, ye will keep my words. These are his words. Be given to hospitality. Be greedy of it. Love doing it. You can't stop. You're the first in line whenever you can to entertain and to, sh- and to feed others and to give them drink and to lodge them if the case calls for it. Look at Matthew chapter 25 and verse 35. This is the great day of judgment. We've got goats on the left hand, sheep on the right hand. And here's how he explains the descriptive character of those on his right hand, the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 35, For I was in hungered, I was hungry, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. That is the definition of hospitality. Food, drink, lodging in one verse. And the Lord Jesus Christ in the great day of judgment does not say, when you were at a Billy Graham crusade, you invited me into your heart. He said, you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me drink when I was thirsty. You took me in when I was a stranger. You lodged me. And that's the description of the word of God. You know, these free will people that are out there that want to make everything decisional salvation and ignore the rest of the Bible, this is what the Bible teaches over and over and over again. Given to hospitality is fulfilled right here. Now someone will say, and the righteous said, in the day of judgment, if you were to go on and read, verse 37 says, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered? and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in? 
When did we ever do those acts of hospitality? And the king shall answer unto them in verse 40, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I want you to remember the expression there, is when you have done it unto the least of one of these my brethren, one soul at a time, because our duties are one another, and you know the passage is going to help me here, don't you? And you, I'm trying to help you appreciate the passage. It's one at a time, done, and it's the least. You don't want to go for those that are the greatest. You don't want to mind high things. You want to condescend to men of low estate. The Bible teaches it from cover to cover. This should be easy. These are the words of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, given to hospitality. And the hospitality, when it's done to even one at a time, and it's done to the least of the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ considers it as having been done personally to Him. Incredible. Incredible. You want to know that you're saved? Forget that date in the flyleaf of your Bible. It means nothing in heaven. No one is going to ask you for a date in heaven. Because the only date that counts in heaven is the date that God predestinated you unto salvation through Jesus Christ the Lord. And it has no date. It was before the world began. It was before the foundation of the earth. And the things that the Lord Jesus Christ will bring up will be character traits out of your life. This is how you can lay a good foundation against the time to come when you are facing death. Given to hospitality. You know, Hebrews 6.10 tells us God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love and that ye have served the saints. Hebrews 6.10. He's not going to forget. We forget and we think, oh, that wasn't a big deal. I had so much pleasure in doing it. God's way is always that way. If you do things God's way, it's always filled with pleasure. A A prison proves to be a palace. When Jesus Christ is there, we sing in our songs. Do we believe that? It's win-win, win-win when we do it the Lord's way. And so even though you thought, I didn't do anything, I just gave him a little bit of food. Ah, but let's be given to it. Let's love doing it. And let's do it more and more. You know, look at Hebrews 13.3. Hebrews 13.3. Here's a little encouragement by the Holy Spirit referring to an event that took place in the Old Testament. Hebrews 13.2. Hebrews 13.2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. That's hospitality. That's Matthew 25.35. That's Romans 12.13b. Be not forgetful. Don't forget to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Well, that's a little bit of encouragement. You know, Abraham was once sitting in the doorway of his tent, and three men approached his tent, and he bustled inside and told Sarah to hurry up and fix lunch. And she didn't get him a salad or granola, as I've told you before. They ran out to the flock and the herd, and they, they killed, they killed, bled, and cooked right there in the spot and brought the Lord a real meal. And it was the Lord. And it was angels representing the Lord Jehovah. And so that event is being referred to in Hebrews 13 too. When those, when some write us from a distance, and for instance, I shared an email with you yesterday of a family in Texas. And they write, I write them right back if they show that they love the Lord Jesus Christ and that they have spent some time on our website. And I tell them, listen, if you can make it to Greenville, we will take care of your food and lodging and incidental expenses while you're here. 
There'll be no pressure applied, no strings attached, and you can have as much or as little fellowship with Christian brethren as you want. Say the same thing to all of them. Why would we make such an offer? You might be an angel. That's what I tell them all. You might be an angel. Because of Hebrews 13 too. So when someone writes me, I don't know, they might be an angel using the internet. And they might come and visit us. And we're going to treat them like they were. And I want to commend those of you in here that do that. And I hope that the rest of the church is now going to put you to the task of having to work harder to be in the front of the line because they're all going to be chasing down the visitors that we have among us and strangers and one another, as I'm going to get to in a moment. But first of all, strangers get the blessing of our efforts to show them hospitality. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that a widow, even when she achieves 60 years of age, and if she's done everything else well, if she hasn't lodged strangers, doesn't get church support. Sorry. We're sorry. You're not much of a Christian. So we can't do it. We know that you're 65 now. We know that your husband's been dead a long time. We know that you raised children well. We know that you've been known for many good works. But you haven't lodged strangers. So, sorry. And you may think that I'm saying that in a haughty... I'm not saying it in a haughty way. I'm just saying it in a scriptural way. That's how important this subject is. And that's why I'm belaboring it for a few minutes. Given to hospitality. Because we are brothers. Did you read Psalm 133? If it's like the ointment upon Aaron's head that ran down his garments, if it's like the dew of Hermon, then we should want to do it. We should want to be together. If it's that big of a blessing, if it's good and if it's pleasant, we should want to do it. And if your heart's in the right place, you can make it good and pleasant. You know, attitude is 99 or 101% of everything we do anyway. If your attitude is right about hospitality, it's a wonderful thing. You'll end up being blessed while you're giving someone else a blessing. And the Lord's blessed us all with life forevermore. So I think that's win, win, win in that particular case. Hospitality occurs among brethren. Let's look at 1 Peter 4.9. 1 Peter 4.9. 1 Peter 4, 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. It's a one-on-one thing that we do for others, and we do it without grudging. It occurs among brethren. But we should remember to emphasize those that are in need when we show it. Those that could use a meal, either because of emotional reasons or financial reasons, family reasons, we want to emphasize them first. We want to emphasize those that are less comely. Those that are not the beautiful people in the church. Is there a verse that tells us to do all this? If you can hold your hand right there, and you're able to look at a third place, because remember Romans 12 is already marked, you can look at Luke 14 with me. Luke 14. It's very important that this be remembered. I get nervous and I get scared when I see some of you showing hospitality to your friends over and over, when you need to reach out, your your closer friends in the church, when you need to reach out and show it to everyone. It's one another. That means every other single person in the church deserves some hospitality from you. You should give it to them. No one in here should be thinking that they deserve hospitality. Everyone in here should be thinking that they are bound to give it. None of these passages are about getting hospitality. All of these passages are about giving hospitality. Luke 14, I've used this many times, but this is the religion of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I am convicted today, if you can't tell about the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. If ye love me, ye will keep my words. These are his words. He does not care about you taking your family out. He does not care about you taking your friends out. This is what he says. Then said he also, Luke 14, 12, 
Then Jesus said to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. If you derive benefit from the hospitality on a natural level, it doesn't count in the sight of God. Now, if you derive benefit on a spiritual level, we can't help that. That's the Lord making everything beautiful in its time. But if you derive benefit on a natural level, you haven't shown real hospitality yet. If you have to grunt a little bit, if you have to overlook their social ineptness, if you have to overlook some of their irritating habits, if you have to overlook them using their fork like it's a claw hammer, you know, whatever you have to overlook, you should do it. These are the words of the Lord and Savior. They're not mine. They're His. If you love me, you will keep my words. So he says, don't call your friends, don't call your brethren, don't call your kinsmen, don't call rich neighbors because they can invite you back and it'll be tit for tat, back and forth, gift exchanges, like the world's Christmas, and it doesn't matter to anybody. It's just ridiculous. It's not measurable in the sight of God as anything good. Verse 13, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. See, the blessing is in showing hospitality to those that can't return it to you, where you do not derive a natural benefit, but probably some natural pain. For they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. How are you recompensed at the resurrection of the just? Come, my friends, and stand on my right hand as my sheep. Lord, why are we on your right hand? Because when you made a supper, you invited over those that were poor and maimed and lame and blind. I love the Word of God. It is, so, it is so plain. And it gets right down to us. Because, you know, it's fun to have friends in the church and, you know, I'll invite you over this Friday and you invite me over next Friday and let's go try another place next week. You know, if you've got it in your budget to waste money like that, then go ahead and do it. But it's not going to measure in the day of judgment at all. Because this is where the emphasis should be. You say, can I never take my friends out? I didn't say that. And the Lord isn't saying that here, but the emphasis should be looking for those that can't repay you. Okay, what does it say in 1 Peter 4, 9? Use hospitality one to another without grudging. What is grudging hospitality? That's being concerned about it being returned. You are a grudging giver when you even let the thought cross your mind. Why don't they do it back to me? I've met those kind of people. And some of them sit right in this assembly. They're unbelievable. When they open their mouth and say some of those things, it galls me to the innermost part of my soul because the thought is from hell. There's no evidence of eternal life in a person that is ever thinking about, why don't others do more for me? If Jesus Christ had done that, you would be on your way to hell and there wouldn't be a Savior. He gave up everything for us who could return Him nothing. Jesus did not come to be ministered unto. He came to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. And I want to stress that point because look at the apostle is saying, use hospitality one to another without grudging. 
you grudge when you know they can't repay you, or you're grudging when you do it to them once, then you do it to them again the next year, and they haven't invited you over again, and you actually let that thought rise up in your heart? Are you kidding me? Where does that come from? You selfish person. Invite them over the third and the fourth and the fifth time in the first quarter of the next year. Get over yourself. No one in here deserves hospitality. We are bound to give hospitality. I thank God through Jesus Christ. I want to say something to you right now. I'm tired. I'm so sick and I'm very angry about milk toast, mealy-mouthed preachers. And I am not one to you. And God knows I declare the truth of God's Word, and I'm declaring the truth of God's Word right now. And I do not let any of you escape. And those of you that are selfish and just sit around waiting for someone to invite you over and do something for you, you do not show any evidence of eternal life. None of these verses are about getting. They're all about giving. Lord, help us. Notice how the Spirit has to stick in that warning without grudging. You know how he, men, we all know how he sticks it in in Colossians 3.19, don't we? Husbands, love your wives. Then what does he say? And be not bitter against them. Do all of us husbands understand that little verse there? Does that verse just take us sometimes? Well, look at this. Without grudging. What is grudging hospitality? It's being concerned about it being returned, or it's being concerned about it's inconvenient. You know, we may have visitors today. Or you may have the opportunity today to show some hospitality. It doesn't take money to show hospitality. You can be hospitable to me with popcorn. Because that's my favorite food. Popcorn doesn't cost very much. Now I eat more than the average. But it still doesn't cost very much. It doesn't take money to be hospitable. We don't care. But you know what? If you're really being hospitable and you do have the money, you want to give people better than popcorn. And I'm not saying that for me. I, want, I expect popcorn. You know, it's, it's inconvenient. Well, I just had other plans for today. Well, the Lord's going to have other plans for you in the great day of judgment. It's that simple. Yep. You have other plans? You're not important. No one in here is important, including the pastor. Everyone else is more important than we are. That's what it means in Romans 12, 13b, when it says, given to hospitality. May the Lord bless us to be a church given to hospitality toward strangers and toward one another without grudging, with liberality, generosity, warmth, affection, as if they were angels. I love the Word of God. I've just given you the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I should do? I should step down and give you an hour and 15 minutes before we start the second assembly and see who's going to grab who and take you out to eat right now. Don't tempt me. Some of you are nodding your head. Yes, you like that idea. I am tempted. Let's go to verse 14. I hope we can do it in spite of me continuing. Given to hospitality. Oh, if a church did that, like they should do it, what a testimony it would be. Have you read Acts chapter 2 in verses 40 through 44, that early church? They ate each other's meat in their houses every day. They were wild about each other. They had all things common because they were full of the Holy Ghost. They were not thinking of themselves highly. They were not waiting for someone to invite them. They were not thinking grudgingly ahead of their plans. I can't really do it. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else should be you. Somebody else should be you. Verse 14, bless them which persecute you. 
Bless and curse not. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. This is persecution by gospel enemies. I had to make a division in this chapter. I've got this verse here. You've got this verse here too. In verse 14, then we have verses 17 through 21 that basically describe the same thing where it says recompense to no man evil for evil. But because this verse says persecute you, I make this persecution for the gospel's sake. And those verses 17 through 21 are ordinary enemies that may not be persecuting us for the gospel's sake, but just irritating us and offending us. And we'll deal with them later. But right now we want verse 14. Bless them which persecute you. This is persecution by gospel enemies. Later, we will have wrongs by brethren and others. Though, of course, there's obviously some overlap because the same principles and responses are due to both. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 5 with me and see that God does this every day. He blesses those that persecute Him. Matthew chapter 5. A good demonstration of the gospel or a good vindication of the gospel is for us to return blessing to those that curse us and they're persecuting us for Christ's sake. It's just a wonderful thing if we can do it. And we can do it. We can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us because the Lord Jesus Christ did it in the cross. Stephen did it when he was dying. And God does it every day. These verses are, this is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Jesus Christ in his preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 43, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. You've heard that. That's a corruption taught by the Pharisees. And the Lord Jesus Christ is correcting that. But I say unto you, my religion is different than verse 43. Jesus is not saying my religion is different than the Old Testament. Jesus is saying my religion is different than the corruption of the Pharisees. Jesus' religion was identical to the Old Testament in its morality. It just changed the ceremonial aspects of the worship. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. See, there's that persecution. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now this is not how we become the children of God, but this is how we prove that we're the children of God. It says that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. This is not how you get born again. This is how you show that you are born again because you're showing the nature and the character traits of God your Father. What a, this is how we interpret Scripture and rightly divide it. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven, which is in heaven is perfect. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. When you bless those that persecute you, then you're showing that you're a child of God. You're showing that you're the same nature as God. You're showing that you are different from all ordinary men who only bless those who bless them. 
You are showing a difference. You are showing that you are perfect in the sight of God. That's how important it is. Jesus Christ would call it being perfect. And God does it every day. That beautiful sunshine that is out there right now, there are atheists, agnostic, God-haters, evolutionists in, the, in Greenville County, and they are enjoying a beautiful day given by the God of heaven. And He is giving you an example that you are supposed to do the same thing. Right. It is not wrong to ask or to wait for God's vengeance. But we don't do the cursing. Can you think of a category of those that were persecuted for the gospel's sake that are asking for God's vengeance for them? The martyrs under the throne of God. Revelation chapter 6 verses 9 through 11. If you think that that sounds inconsistent, then think with me for just a moment. Think. Okay? God sends His Son which is going to raise the temperature today to 85 to 90 degrees, and they're all going to enjoy it. So he is fulfilling what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 through 48. But in just a few years, God is going to send fervent heat and melt this entire planet up. What he is doing right now is only temporary. It is not an indication of his eternal love toward them, nor of any abiding brotherly love, nor of any familial family love, It is just an indication He is a good, gracious, benevolent being and that all men ought to repent because there is a testimony and a witness in the universe of His goodness toward all men. So though He is sending that sunshine with 85 or 90 degrees, 85,000 degrees is coming soon when this entire planet will melt with fervent heat. Mm -hmm. But what, what is our outward treatment of them? And what is our personal treatment toward them? We bless them that persecute us. We bless them. We do good to them. If we, if we run into them and they're in need of something, we do it for them. When we meet them, we greet them, even though they're our enemies. We don't avoid them. We don't run down a different aisle in the grocery store. We greet them. Christians should be the most forgiving, forgetting, and overlooking people the world has in it. Right. One of the great blessings you can give yourself for health and joy, the Bible says health. If you want good health, then you've got to learn to forgive everybody. If you think if you think negative thoughts about other people, if you hold grudges, if you're bitter toward them, you are just destroying yourself from the inside out. No doctor is going to be able to help you. You're always going to have physical maladies because you harbor hatred in your heart. You you harbor bitterness. You harbor grudges. And you can't do that. One of the great blessings is just to forgive enemies. The Lord will give you such peace over it. Pray for your enemy. If someone has persecuted you for the gospel's sake, get down and pray for them. Send them a card. Say, are you kidding? No, I wasn't. Do good to those that hate you. Bless and curse not. When Jesus died on the cross, he prayed for his murderers in their sinful ignorance. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't know who I am. Forgive them. I'm not important enough for you to judge them for murdering me. Stephen said the same thing. Lord, Lay not this sin to their charge. This sin. He didn't say, Lord, don't lay any sins to their charge. He says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. I'm, I'm not important enough. Is that, can we reach that high? That is high. That's a son of God. That's the son of God. Showing Stephen, a little son of God, how to do it. And look at First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, and this may not be so much persecution for the gospel's sake, though it certainly can occur on the job. Look at how the Bible lines up the example of Jesus Christ for you to go to work tomorrow. First Peter chapter 2. 
Verse 18, servants. This is when you go to work tomorrow. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Obey your masters and do what they tell you to do. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. If they mistreat you and treat you wrongly at work, and you endure the grief of being mistreated at work because you have a conscience toward God, then you have done something that is worthy of thanks, praise, and commendation. You have shown yourself to be a real Christian in verse 19. For what glory is it, verse 20, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. This is the religion of Jesus Christ. This is how you get along on the job as a Christian. Though you are mistreated, though you have done well, you have done your job better than anyone else at the company, and you're suffering for it, but you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. God accepts your work that day. God accepts your job and how you are fulfilling it. And the Apostle Paul would say, whether present or absent, we labor to be accepted of God. Because that's the most important thing. God has made us acceptable in Jesus Christ, but we want to show ourselves acceptable by our acceptable conduct in the world, which is the good and... Are you all with me? And acceptable and perfect will of God. God's made us acceptable in Christ, but we can show that we're accepted in Christ by having acceptable conduct toward those who mistreat us. Now, now you've heard all that before, because that's how you're supposed to work tomorrow. Verse 21, for even hereunto were ye called. That kind of, that kind of behavior under that kind of mistreatment is what you were called to do. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. We should walk right behind the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave us an example of being mistreated, though he was perfect, the Son of God, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, and they called him so many names and ridiculed him, Reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And we shouldn't threaten. We shouldn't curse. That's why the verse says, bless and not curse. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter 3.9. Just turn the page. 1 Peter 3.9. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. And it goes on to describe, if you want to love life and see good days, then learn to control your mouth and to eschew evil and to seek peace. Right. Romans twelve fourteen. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Let's go back and get verse 15. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we're acceptable to Him. This is how we look like the children of God. This is how we look like God our Father. Verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. This is the same lesson Paul taught to the church at Corinth. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, we can get the wording that is used there, so we're comparing spiritual things with spiritual again. That is Romans 12, 15, compared to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. And whether one member suffer, the slight changes in wording are very useful to us. And whether one member suffer, 
all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. The whole church suffering with one member, the whole church rejoicing with one member that's been honored. Okay, that's there in 1 Corinthians 12.26 that helps shed light in Romans 12.15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. A church to be like a body, the Holy Spirit's popular metaphor in the New Testament of what a church is to function like, should participate in each member's joy. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. When something good happens to a church member, the rest of us should be excited about it. I hope that I have given you an example of being excited about everything that happens in your job. Every time someone gets engaged, every time someone gets married, every time someone conceives, every time a child is born, you get promoted, you get more money on the job, you get a diploma, you graduate. Those things should be important to all of us. And when it happens to one member and they're honored, the rest of us should rejoice with them, not just the pastor, but all of us should. Because when I'm happy... When you're happy, and it's because of something you know, or it's something you feel, do your legs get involved? Oh, yeah. Your step's a whole lot lighter. You feel like dancing. Do your hands get involved? Yes! They get involved. Because the whole body gets involved. The whole, your whole body goes dancing, not just your legs. The whole body goes dancing because something in your head or something in your heart is moving you because you're rejoicing. And so the the church is to rejoice like that. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. This is how a church is supposed to function. These are the words of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are happy for something, your legs will dance with your head and your heart. You know it's more pleasure and it's more reward to share a blessing than to enjoy it yourself. Luke 15 When the woman had ten coins, lost one, and then swept her whole house until she found it, what did she want to do? She wanted to go celebrate. Because from her standpoint, it was worthy of celebrating with others and to share the joy of the fact that she found her lost coin. When a man had a hundred sheep, loses one, locks up the ninety and nine with a keeper and goes out and finds the one that was lost and brings it back, carrying it on his shoulder, what does he want to do? Gather his friends together and celebrate. Because it's more fun to celebrate with someone else. Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12 that there's four reasons why two are better than one. And the fourth, the first reason is because they have a reward for their labor. It's fun to share rewards with another person. It's fun to go to work and work hard, but if all you got was an increase in your paycheck and no email to the rest of the office, no announcement to the company, your wife didn't even know about it, and your children didn't know about it, tell me how exciting that would be. Nobody knew about it. And you've just been promoted and given a new title. You've just gone from vice president to group vice president. Nobody knows about it. Horrible. Because all that stuff's worth sharing. Wife, look what happened. I'll raise your allowance from $2 to 3 That was just a me light for a moment. We want to share. We want to share. And so the Bible says a church should function like that. I wish we had the time to parade everyone through the pulpit and have everyone be able to say something about another church member that's happened to them. 
To be perfectly honest, if we're going to be good Christians, we don't care what you think about has happened to yourself. We should be saying those things about one another. We don't want to see you raise your hand and talk about yourself. It just irritates us because it's displeasing to the Lord. But we should want to talk about each other. And so I need feedback from all of you about one another. Because the periodic church updates that I send out are to help us keep this verse along with some other, I hope, wisdom to my madness, is to keep this verse, rejoice with them that do rejoice. You know, while I was gone, some good things were announced up here in this pulpit. And and I'm thankful to hear about them. And I was excited about them, and I wanted to share them in the church update that I sent out on Friday. But I need your help. I need you to tell me what good things are happening in other lives so that I can share it with the congregation so that the whole church can rejoice with even one person. 1 Corinthians 12.26 says, If one is honored, the the whole church should rejoice with it. Because my whole body rejoices if something good happens to a part of it. Have you ever seen a woman with a new ring? Is it just her ring finger that's dancing and jumping around and wanting to show it off? Or is her whole body engaged in it? Is it showing on her face? Is it showing in her voice? Are her legs carrying her around? You know, being thankful for something that's happened to her. I'm just using illustrations from Paul's popular metaphor in the Bible of the church being like a body. A body. How glad do you get when someone else gets engaged? When when they have a wedding. When they conceive a child. When they give birth. When they get a new job. When they get a promotion. When they get a degree, when they're rewarded, they get a favor. Do you get excited? I want to hear about those things. Squeal on each other. It's called back kissing. The Bible condemns backbiting, but back kissing is a wonderful thing. So while they're away, let's do something behind their back. You tell me what good things have happened in their lives, and I'll help the church rejoice with each member that it has had had an honor. And weep with them that weep. This is the opposite side. It's the same language that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 12. If one member is suffering, the rest of the body should suffer with it. So we should be considering those that are not having honors, but are having trials and suffering. And so we consider those things, and we try to show them a little suffering with them. And we're empathetic toward them. As Hebrews 13.3 says, because we're all in one body, those that were in prison, the church members that were not in prison, should have been thinking about being in prison so that they would have empathy toward those in prison. Send them a note. Send them a text message. If texts were allowed in Roman prisons. A church wants to share in all these things. Do you know what it says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 when it gives four reasons why two are better than one? It says we can help each other up when we fall. And so there we have fulfilled what Solomon wrote about the purpose of human society. And God's made a church into human society for there to be benefits toward all of us by the church treating each other a certain way. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, when He was at the tomb of Lazarus, and Mary and Martha were there. Now, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He wept. Did he know he was going to raise him from the dead? Yes. He wept. He commiserated with their grief because they didn't know what he was going to do. They had told him if he had got there on time, he could have kept him from dying, but they hadn't given him the greater benefit of the doubt that he could raise him from the dead. But he wept with them. He showed sympathy toward the grief and the loss that Mary and Martha were feeling. 
A fair-weather friend is no friend at all. The church of Jesus Christ should not be a fair-weather friend. A brother is... What was that, Chris? A, a brother is born for adversity. How many years has that been since he laid that jewel on us? Proverbs seventeen seventeen. A brother is born for adversity. And so we've been born to help bear each other up during times of adversity. But we've got to do it. This is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in verse 15, Rejoice with them that do rejoice. To each of you, from Jesus Christ, as His ambassador, you are supposed to rejoice when something good happens to any other member. And, And they should know it. They should feel it. They should read it. They should see it in their inbox. They should see the text. And weep with them that weep. And so when someone has had a serious loss and they're weeping, we should be commiserating with that weeping loss as well. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's laid out for us in Romans 12, 13 through 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my words. May the Lord bless us to keep these words this day and tomorrow and as long as he gives us in this world, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. If you'll help me with the periodic church updates, I will send them out. I will put them together or I will arrange for them to be put together so that the whole church can know what's going on in lives. But I want to hear from you about someone else is how it should work because you should be doing some back kissing. How sad do you get for broken friendships in the church, miscarriages, of unborn children, family deaths, lost jobs, business trouble, health problems, child problems, and so forth. We want to be empathetic and personal in our caring, which is apostolic doctrine. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen. Amen.